0: V.I. Shots LabVIEW podcast episode 34. Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of V.I. Shots. My name is Michael Aivaliotis and this is a podcast devoted to the world of LabVIEW. With each episode, I bring you interviews, discussions, and share with you ideas for how you can take your LabVIEW development to the next level. Well, thank you all again for joining me on this episode of the VI Shots podcast. I hope everyone out there has have had a great Christmas, a uh, great new year, and we're starting off uh, 2014 with our first interview of the year and uh, with my guest Jack Dunaway from uh, Wirebird Labs. Jack, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Michael. Thanks a ton for having me. And likewise uh, to all the audience and yourself, happy holidays and happy new year.
0: Yeah, hopefully it's been uh, it's been a great uh, 2013 for everyone out there. Today we have Jack talking to, uh, to us about his uh, his product that he has out called Deploy. Uh, it's a add-on uh, and it's a toolkit for LabView that's been selling on the LabView Tools Network, uh, the National Instruments LabView Tools Network. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, Jack, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got started into LabView?
1: Uh, yeah. So, in it, uh, the year was two thousand six, and I was at university at Laterna University, and uh, I needed a job. And so there were a couple of different options available, uh, one of which was grading papers and one of which was working in a materials joining lab. And I'm not crazy about like welding and I I hadn't really ever done LabVIEW except for a little bit. Uh, and I actually hated LabVIEW to begin with when I when I first started working with it. Uh, that was coming from a bit of C++ background. And I thought LabVIEW was just drawing pictures and basically for people who couldn't, who couldn't write real programs. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that that job uh, in in the uh, materials joining lab was offering something like eleven dollars an hour, whereas uh, grading papers was for six bucks an hour or something like that. And I was like, well, you know, I, I could do basically anything for eleven dollars an hour, even lab view. And uh, so that's that's really where I got started uh, with it. it It started off as a really, um, it was like my enemy and then I, I remember my first ever terrible bug that, that took me a few days to figure out it was where the processor uh, was railed out at 100% and my application wasn't doing anything. But probably retrospectively it was like a loop running all out or something. Uh, not not yielding, but anyway, uh, I I got this mentality of you know I'm not gonna let you get the best of me, and uh, that that was my first uh, experience with Labview, and it slowly grew uh, over over that year from uh, like a hatred to a necessary evil. Uh, to a curiosity, and then, I mean, later on into a passion, really. Uh, So 2008, I hit industry in a job um, where I was doing nothing but LabVIEW. Uh, And then, what was it, a couple of years after that, I had gotten uh, CLD, CLA certified uh, LabVIEW champion. So yeah, uh, the the trajectory of my career uh, really started with LabVIEW and it's been focusing on LabVIEW ever since. Uh, So the past seven, eight years now.
0: So can you, can you describe, because you said you started off hating (laughs) LabVIEW or or not, (laughs) not really liking it. So can you, can you talk about the moment where you, it turned into a passion? Like what was that thing that said, okay, well, this is awesome now?
1: So it's a little bit hard pinpointing it, uh, but I I can tell you a little bit about my first program. My very first program ever was a flat sequence structure where I dropped all of the terminals in the first frame and I labeled that frame variable declarations. (laughs) (laughs) And in in the very next frame, I had constants wired to local variables where I was doing Uh, initialization. And clearly, clearly, I was coming at LabVIEW from this mindset that it is so poorly equipped to do what it is that I'm used to doing. Uh, You know, I I couldn't understand why it was so difficult to adapt these paradigms uh, to what programming was. And it wasn't until later on that I realized uh, programming is not necessarily uh, procedural C++ programming. Is simply this mapping of of you know human intellect into machine code that's going to end up uh, executing some stuff, you know, doing some stuff that you want to do. And as it turns out, uh, a lot of times that intellect can't be mapped into a linear domain. Uh, it's it's a parallel domain, right? Uh, so, so at some point I realized, oh wait a minute, you know, a wire is more like a variable than a terminal is. So, so maybe I should treat the wire more like a variable, and let me map that to the mental model that I have, the mental concepts that I'm trying to uh, put out on paper, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so once I started realizing uh, that the that the syntax was so different, uh, that mapped to the semantics that I cared about. Once I started realizing uh, it, it was different, I think that's when I really began to enjoy it more. Um, because then I could realize uh, realize the things that I was wanting to do, uh, rather than just trying to fight with Latview, essentially. Uh, so that, you know, I've, I've been having um, I guess you'd say revelations like that for the past eight years using LabVIEW. I'm always learning new things, and I, I love to talk to guys, especially like you and other, other architects in the community, just to help uh, expand uh, my view of LabVIEW and, and what it's capable of.
0: Well, now with uh, various messaging architectures that people are discussing uh, in the community and on the web, um, you know the idea of a wire now, it becomes... It's less relevant I guess because of all the messaging architectures what do you think about that
1: well so that's that's a great question And I listened to a fantastic podcast the other day it's software engineering radio I believe it's se-radio.net uh, but anyway they had uh, a guest Jonas Bonaire who is the chief architect of the ACA framework for Scala Scala is a uh, Programming language built on the JVM, um, but anyway, Scala is known for um, is known for a lot of the same things that Labview is known for. Its ability to do parallelism and also concurrency. Uh, so, parallelism and concurrency are two different things. When we talk about parallelism, we're talking about the instructions at a lower level procedural um, aspect. Like basically, when you pull up a block diagram. You're looking at uh, at parallelism. When you have two operations at parallel, uh, those can be performed, uh, you know, on on different cores and in parallel. Whereas, on, on
0: different uh, threads, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, I- exactly. Different threads, uh, and then in concurrency, that's not necessarily happening in parallel, it it can be happening due to time slicing, um, or it can be in parallel. So I guess you'd say uh, concurrency is the superset which contains parallelism. Um, But once you start talking about message passing versus just simply parallelism, uh, you're you're starting to look at these higher-level, these more coarser-grained systems. Uh, rather than the finely-grained methods, for instance, or, or procedural logic that happens within a method. Uh, so even though we're talking about message passing, uh, that's, a good, that's a good architectural decision for larger systems, uh, whereas the, the wires, the wire level, the parallel level, that still happens at the lower, uh, finer-grained level. And so, uh, really, it's not like one supplants the other. It's not like message passing is going to supplant um, data flow. Right. Uh, they, they accomplish two separate things, just depending on the domain uh, where you're architecting.
0: So throughout your career, um, after leaving school, you worked for several different companies, and we also worked together. I guess the audience should know that uh, we were both <laughs> working at JKI at one point. Um, and you got interested in the whole process of product development and uh, you know, how, that's, how that's done and how to make su- successful products. Can you describe a little bit about uh, your passion for that?
1: Oh yeah, you betcha. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, Michael, I got to say, you are uh, one of my role models. You, uh, you have done a lot of pioneering in this field. Uh, likewise, you mentioned we worked at uh, JKI together, uh, Jim. Likewise, doing product development um, in the LabVIEW community, huge role model. Uh, so yeah, I'm that, blushing. That, that, <laughs> you're blushing. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see that, but yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, be, being able to work with you guys was uh, was really exciting for me. What absolutely one of the highlights of my uh, career. Um, but like you mentioned, uh, just the the passion for product development. Um, one thing that I like about it more than anything is uh, really getting to interact with the customer. Uh, because I, I, I would be what I consider a chronic engineer, uh, which means that I'm plagued with having no experience but technical experience in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you get into these things like product development and product management, uh, you don't necessarily have these stakes in the ground and these footholds uh, knowing how to, how to best proceed or where to go. Uh, but being able to plug in with customers and being able to plug in Uh, with other other software engineers has been an absolutely fantastic part of that product development experience Now I know
0: uh, a lot of people when they they decide to trend I mean We all start off as System developers or you know doing writing tests for example or controlling instruments Somewhere down the line we convert from becoming these uh, integrators or you know, consultants or whatever you want to call yourself, and then come up with an idea of, hey, you know, maybe I should make a product, and uh, you know, just put it out there and sell it, and you know, get rich, and become a millionaire. <laughs> <laughs> you know, product development is not for everyone, and also there's uh, sometimes you know what you think is a good product not doesn't necessarily make a good product, <laughs> right? As as you know, uh, so what what is that? So if what would you say to someone that? wants to you know create a tool or something to get it out there what what should they do to get started
1: oh that's a fantastic question um so i would highly recommend this book i'm uh i'm turning around and looking at my bookshelf right now okay it's called inspired uh, how to create products customers love uh that's by marty kagan the book inspired uh so this book is it has been pivotal in in my understanding of what it means to be a product developer, uh, but more importantly, a product manager. One thing, uh, I, I, I really truly believe that everyone I've ever talked to, uh, since they know that I'm a product manager and I've started a products business, it's a It's a common theme uh, where people will come to me and say, oh, I've got this product idea and I'd really love to do it and create it and sell it. And that would allow me to break out of my, uh, you know, fill in the current role. Like you said, integrator, consultant, or um, engineer in industry. Uh, One thing that you realize, and and that I realized after reading this book, is that product development is actually, uh, it's predicated by customer development. And so prior to even laying one finger on the keyboard or the mouse before you start product development, you need to do customer development. And basically what that means is going to who would be your potential audience and basically asking them, would you buy something that's like, you know, like this? And, and you would describe the product or, or describe a platter of products or, or product ideas. Um, but more important, uh, even than the solution, because a product is a solution, even more important than talking about the solution, you want to talk about customers' problems. Uh, and so when I, when I first started Wirebird Labs uh, back in early 2012, Uh, I actually spent months and months without doing any LabVIEW, it's the longest stretch where I've not even opened up LabVIEW, um, probably three or four months, and uh, what I did during that time was I just talked to LabVIEW developers, uh, CLDs, CLAs, uh, LabVIEW champions, business owners, integrators, consultants, and uh, I... I threw out some theories, uh, one of which uh, turned into Deploy eventually. I threw out the theories uh, of what I thought they might uh, be having problems with as LabVIEW developers. So as a LabVIEW developer myself, um, I had a pretty good idea of some trouble points uh, where things things could be made a lot better in the LabVIEW environment, and just the, the LabVIEW software development process, uh, one of which turned out to be deployment. Uh, to, you know, once you write your application, how is it that you get it onto the deployed target and into the hands of your customers so that they can then uh, begin producing business value from those applications? Um, and one thing that I realized when I was talking to all these people is I would throw out probably about five or six ideas and they'd all say, "Oh yeah, that's that's a fantastic, uh, that's a fantastic tool. I I would really enjoy using that." But then you start to filter it when you start hearing things like, "Well, it's fantastic, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't pay for it." Uh, that that might be a good thing to develop with your recreational programming time, but it's certainly not a business model. It's 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 not going to keep a business running. Um, however, when we came to the uh, deployment problem, people would start telling me, uh, let me tell you my problems that I've had. Let me tell you this horror story. And as soon as you start to hear emotions like that, uh, then you realize, aha, this is this is probably a product that's going to resonate uh, with LabVIEW developers. Um, as soon as you really start tying in uh, really the the human side of programming into product development. Uh-huh. So yeah, that's, that's basically how it went. Three or four months uh, just talking to a bunch of potential customers uh, and actually selling it even before it was made, uh, even before it was ready to be downloaded. That's basically the process of customer development uh, prior to product development. So basically, Whenever you think to yourself, I have a product idea, uh, it's good to start backing away from that very quickly, especially if you're a chronic engineer, uh, just as I classify myself. Because as soon as you start doing more and more product development, what you're going to do is sell yourself further and further into the product and into the implementation. And by the time you go to try to actually sell it to people, uh, you could be missing the mark by a far margin of what uh, your actual customer base would be wanting or expecting. Uh, One one concrete example is that even though I'm a LabVIEW developer, I know a lot about deployment and a lot about what I would want with deployment, Uh, a lot of my ideas that I was really excited about developing, uh, you know, features putting into deploy, once I started asking customers about it, nobody else was excited about it. And uh, it, it turns out good <laughs> that I got that feedback early on because I could have spent weeks or even months of development time uh, essentially adding no business value to the product simply because it's, uh, it's polluting the feature set really at that point. Uh, if you have features that nobody or, or a very, very tiny percentage of your customer base is using, uh, then that ends up as a net negative experience uh, on your product. And as a product manager, those are the ones that you try to avoid in the first place and then really, um, uh, you know, really reevaluate if the time comes, uh, you know, the, the future of that feature.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, as... as- Kind of product manager for vipm i i'm kind of in the same boat as you are although we can, i came into it a, from a different angle um than than you did uh there's definitely the the idea of involving the user the customer first and getting feedback as to what should be in a product i think is basically the way to go and also uh and in, in addition to that you want to also evaluate uh, the size of the market and kind of the the willingness for the person to pay, as you said, um, some people have problems that they're not willing to pay for <laughs> to get Perfect. themselves they're like, yeah, they're problems, but they're not that bad. I'll live with them <laughs> uh, right i'm not exactly. willing to I'm not willing to pay to to get it fixed. I'll just deal with it
1: exactly uh, and and another thing that you need to understand as the product manager is just because your product may save other people money or may save them hassle. That uh, that helps in in having a good viable product. Uh, however, that is not the end all be all. Uh, it, there, it, it's more than just financial gain or saving time or, or saving hassle. Uh, there's there's so many more vectors uh, that are important for why people buy something. Uh, so you, you mentioned VIPM in uh, deploy, also in how you and I as product managers. Uh, communicate with our customers. So one thing that we both have set up is idea exchanges. Uh, just like the LabVIEW uh, product has a LabVIEW idea exchange where customers can go and post new feature ideas or, or new uh, improvements or even bug fix requests sometimes. Uh, both VIPM and Deploy likewise have idea exchanges uh, where we can go on and Um, transparently communicate with customers uh, and hear firsthand exactly what they're wanting. And likewise, uh, gauge the rest of the market, uh, because the rest of the market is able to vote on those ideas and and tell us what's important. Uh, That helps prioritize feature development and uh, the roadmap.
0: Yeah, the idea exchange is a good good idea. (laughs) <laughs> uh but uh so, don't you think that sometimes the the things that come out of the idea exchange are not um i mean they're they're good little features that would add enhance the program but they're not large um life-changing ideas for example you you might want to take your product in a direction that you think the market is going but the market doesn't know that it's going there you know what i'm saying? Um, right. The 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 user doesn't have the foresight to suggest an idea that is uh, would get give great benefit down the road because he doesn't he's not aware of that that problem.
1: Yeah, you betcha. That's like uh, I'm I'm gonna butcher this quote, but the Henry Ford saying when he was asking customers about what they would want in a car. Uh, they don't even have a frame of reference, and they say, "I want a faster horse." Essentially, right. mm-hmm. uh, because that's that's what they're used to. So, yeah, the the idea exchange is uh, it's just one platform among many many ways of engaging customers, and um, in, in just one one input yeah, of of many that yeah. mm-hmm. also drive the uh, drive the roadmap and the future of the product. Uh, one thing that I particularly love about the idea exchange <clears throat> and uh, th- this goes for just kinda how I I interact with the uh, deploy at the exchange is a lot of times its customers on there who I already have a relationship with and so if they post things on there we're able to take that into an asynchronous conversation uh, and then likewise pull other people into it and so that's a good um, that's a good entry point, I guess you'd say, for brainstorming. Uh, and, and what I've found is far more often uh, than not, some of the best ideas uh, come as uh, basically the ideas are triggered because of an idea. Uh, the idea begets another idea, or, or you conglomerate two ideas and, and get something bigger. Uh, so yeah, the, the idea exchange, it's, it's no more than a sandbox to toss out some ideas and try to, uh, you know, try to synthesize those into where the product really needs to be heading in the future.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of time what I do is I look at the idea and try to get to the essence of it. Whereas what, like, what is the user really trying to do? And sometimes I follow up offline and, uh, try to find out, okay, yeah, we can add this feature, but what do you really want? What, what is your ultimate goal? And then you realize that it's actually something else that they want, um, <laughs> but they express it in a way that they just see it from the user interface point of view, right?
1: Um, oh, exactly. But they're
0: actually trying to do something else and then say, okay, well, that's even better. Let's let's fix that problem. Um, so that, that happens a couple of times.
1: You betcha. Root cause analysis, trying to really dive down into uh, the, the user story Mm-hmm. of what workflow they're trying to accomplish. And then you, just as the uh, product developer, once once you put on your product developer hat, try to enable uh, that user workflow. Uh, so yeah, can, can you actually, uh, can you dive a little bit into your own experience uh, as the VIPM product manager? Like one thing I'd be curious about is um, what are what are some features that you would really love to put in there but once you uh once you ran it by customers you realized that it turned out not to be a good idea
0: yeah there were there were some ideas that uh, i had which i thought were cool to go into vipm which in hindsight uh, decided to take them out because it was just too much fluff <laughs> and it wasn't uh, essential to the core of the product uh, for example uh, this is early stages when we were when I was first developing uh, VIPM. Uh, for example, the idea of having uh, customizable uh, colors and custom button icons and things like that in VIPM, where in the options you can actually configure what buttons, <laughs> uh, <laughs> what icons would go on the buttons, and actually what what colors would be in the in the rows of the multicolored you know list box and things like that. <laughs> um, as a developer, I was thought, hey, that'd be cool. And that would be fun to program. Uh, but in the end, it really doesn't add. I mean, I'd be wasting time and development time on adding a feature that really doesn't add a lot of value to anybody. Uh, <laughs> right. And it was just fun.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I I understand that. I, I likewise have some of the same problems where, uh, again, the chronic engineer in me wants... Uh, wants to do product development rather than necessarily product management. When you're sitting in front of the LabVIEW environment, you're wanting to do cool things uh, rather than refraining from doing those things. And one one of my favorite sayings uh, in that regard is, no code is better than no code. And that is, if you can get away with not writing anything, uh, you're not going to be putting bugs and you're not going to be putting maintenance points into the product. Uh, so. Yeah, it it really helps to actually not have it there. So I can tell you another way that I handle this problem, or it's not a problem per se, but when you have a feature that's not necessarily one you want to put in front of all your customers or all the users of the product, uh, let's say, going back to your example earlier, the um, row colors, say, of the IPM, you don't necessarily want to put it on the GUI, or on the configuration GUI because then <laughs> you're going to end up with more requests saying, uh, you know, because that is in front of more people. You're you're going to have more service requests based on that. Yeah. However, what you can do is you can work that into the lower level API uh, or configuration of the application. So even though it's not, um, even though it's not user facing through the GUI. Uh, you have the ability to do those, uh, to to invoke those behaviors or to configure uh, those styles,
0: like perhaps through the uh, through an ini file or something.
1: Exactly through an I and I through through a LabView API. Uh, I mean, you can even open up like a, a port, you know, and, and have a service where it would accept incoming requests uh, to change its internal. There, there's lots of ways that you can open up your application. Um,
0: yeah. So for the majority of majority of people, they won't see it. But if someone voices their opinion, say, "Hey, I wish I could do that." Say, "Well, actually, you can, and here's how."
1: Uh, Right. You betcha. I I can give one very uh, concrete example that I'm working with with uh, two customers right now. And that is the ability. uh, So one thing that Deploy does for you is it hooks into App Builder and it will invoke builds. Uh, And these two customers are building EXEs in both 32 and 64-bit LabVIEW because they're needing to ship ship, uh, both distributables to their customers. And they've both asked me, um, I would like to be able to invoke these within one, you know, a one-click deployment, automated, uh, rather than having to do these manual steps myself. myself um, How could how could I do that? And so, what we're doing uh, right now, what I'm actively working on, is creating some API methods uh, where they can define the build context uh, programmatically, such that whenever the deployment starts. Uh, a custom deployment step will hook in and then set those contexts um, during the deployment uh, so that it can automatically invoke and launch uh, a 64-bit ADE uh, from the 30-bit 32-bit uh, master or, or vice versa, depending on which is the master and which is the slave context. Uh, but basically, it will invoke the other bitness, perform the build, and then suck in, the, uh, suck in the output of that build, close down that other context, and then continue along the entire deployment process. So that, that concept of being able to invoke entirely different context is a fairly high-level concept that a lot of uh, a lot of people don't necessarily care about. And if you were to put that into the user interface, it would just uh, m- muddy up the user interface because it'd be very confusing yeah. as you started talking about context and remoting into you know. Uh, vi server and setting up ports (laughs) yeah yeah, people would be
0: do do i need to know about this to do my deployment or is this important to me it's probably not so
1: (laughs) exactly because as soon as it's on the user interface it looks like well i i'm probably um i'm probably liable for understanding what this does and i should probably know how to set it up correctly uh, so all of a sudden, what you've done is you've introduced uh, an insecurity to people who are using your product. They look at it, and it looks complicated, and uh, it's, it's not the greatest uh, developer experience uh, for people using that product.
0: So let's get into the, the actual product itself, Deploy, which you mentioned a little bit. Uh, wh- what is it, and uh, why should people buy it?
1: Great (laughs) question. Uh, So Deploy is a tool for LabVIEW developers who create applications and have people who they need to ship that application to. Uh, And when I say ship, uh, that can take on many different forms. Uh, if If you upload it to a file server, if you put it on a website for them to download, even if you just drop that thing onto USB stick and you carry that USB stick to a, um, to a deployment target in order to install that software, as long as there are people outside of yourself um, using your application, that's, that's the workflow that Deploy tries to simplify for you. Um, what it does is it automates uh, the build process, the build and deployment process of your LabVIEW applications. So essentially, uh, when you are done, uh, when you are done with your current dev cycle of implementing features and bug fixes, and uh, you've you've hit the commit button and and you're ready to build this thing into a distributable, uh, that's where Deploy takes over. And the ultimate goal of Deploy is to give an incredible DevEx developer experience in that you only have to click one button in order to perform the entire deployment. And likewise, on the end-user side, uh, it's to create a distributable that is very simple uh, to install. Uh, So one thing that Deploy does for you is it uh, creates an installer uh, that's a one-click EXE, basically. Uh, You click on the EXE installer, and then it will manually uh, walk you through the installation process it, exactly like uh, exactly like one would expect from an, in an installer.
0: So it, and it does it in a, in a single file too.
1: Yes, exactly. Uh, that's that's one difference, uh, save from the installers created by installer installer builder uh, with app builder. Uh, it will create an MSI for you with all of the assets. Uh, as, as different files within a, within a file directory. in um, the typical deployment process at that point, if you've created installers, is to zip that up and then send your customer the zip file, uh, let your customer know how to unzip the file, uh, where to click, um, likewise if you have external dependencies like third-party hardware drivers or, or uh, database drivers or additional toolkits uh, that are non, non-NI products. Uh, Likewise, you need to give instructions on how to set those things up and manually install those things. Uh, So that's what Deploy uh, does, is it it scripts the entire installation for you uh, such that the end user only sees one uh, linear workflow, um, and then that one installer will install your entire application and all the settings uh, and all the third-party dependencies.
0: So what what are the some of you mentioned one problem with the ni with ni's built-in installer builder is it uh, um, it has multiple files and it's hard to manage them. What other benefits do you get over ni's uh, builder?
1: So, and that's that's an interesting way to word it. That's not even necessarily a problem uh, with ni's installer builder. Uh, That's just how it works uh, using the MSI uh, file format and having having all of the. merge modules and, and additional language files and the additional INIs and the Bootstrapper EXE separate. Uh, it, it's, it's not necessarily a problem, it's just uh, a sub-optimal workflow when you go to deliver that distributable to a customer. Uh, so in in some cases, uh, the MSI is actually uh, preferable than the, than the one EXE that Deploy creates for you. Um, and in that case, uh, you can actually still use the installer created by NI, uh, and you can have Deploy distribute that. Uh, so Deploy would wrap the installer uh, spec, which would wrap the EXE spec, which you know bundles all your source code into your application. Um, so so another thing that Deploy does uh, just besides that is it also gives you a LabVIEW API. Uh, It gives you a LabVIEW palette of uh, functions where you can incorporate automatic updates into your application. Uh, So if you have targets in the field, uh, let's say it's it's one single deployment target, let's say it's a hundred different deployment targets. Uh, One very common um, design pattern for software developers is to have the ability of automatically updating uh, software that's in the field. Um, we see many different topologies of this, like Windows Update has the tray icon, you know, the service that runs in the background. You can configure that uh, to update in, in several different modes. Uh, the Some browsers have um, the ability to automatically and silently, transparently update when you exit uh, the browser. And when you relaunch the browser, it could be a new, new application uh, that has very silently been installed. Um, likewise, you can have things that are running completely headless, no UI at all, um, sitting on some embedded uh, device that is polling for these updates, and when it detects a valid update, it can automatically uh, automatically download that and invoke that update and then relaunch itself, relaunch the uh, new application. Uh, so basically, any one of these topologies that you can imagine, uh, any one of these update topologies, uh, that LabVIEW API allows you to do that from within your LabVIEW application. Uh, so that's one, one very critical, um, I guess, design decision, product decision for Deploy, and that is all of these uh, sophisticated behaviors and abilities that you would want in an update service. Uh, You don't have to go out and learn additional scripts or additional languages or additional tools. You can do it all within LabVIEW. Uh, So that's one very important product decision for Deploy, and that is all of these things that we're talking about and doing, Uh, You don't need to go and learn additional syntax of some other language. All you need to do is know LabVIEW. Uh, So enabling the LabVIEW developer the same abilities that other uh, modern programming languages and and, uh, programming environments provide, uh, allowing those things to be done within LabVIEW. Uh,
0: So if you go to the project environment and you go to the uh, build specifications area, Um, there's actually uh, integration with the project and you can actually build a deployment, is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Deploy hooks into some APIs in the LabVIEW environment uh, that allows it to very seamlessly integrate with the LabVIEW IDE, uh, meaning that it's not a separate application from LabVIEW. So that's another design decision uh, about Deploy, and that's that's to make it very integrated with the LabVIEW environment, make it as seamless as possible uh, with the LabVIEW ADE.
0: So you've uh, you've brought out Deploy. It's been out for about a year now, is that correct, or a bit longer?
1: Let's see. Uh, yeah, our, our first pilot program launch was, I think, October 2012, so just over a year. Okay, so how, how
0: is, have you seen the, the reaction uh to the to the release and how has the whole uh, product development experience been for you?
1: Uh, it it's been really fantastic. Uh, I I really love working in the LabVIEW product development sphere. In uh, Deploy has been a fantastic product to begin that journey with. Uh, one reason that I enjoy it so much is uh, lots of. This is essentially one of those domains where a lot of people are searching for answers, and so I'm getting a lot of organic traffic essentially uh, to this product. And people um, asking, you know, how, how is it that I can map this to my my problem domain? Uh, so it, it's, it's been really great uh, working with a product that's getting so much traffic in that regard. Uh, because really, it's it's a horizontal market. It's it's not uh, it, it's it's not a vertical, right? Everybody who's creating LabVIEW code is needing to get that to customers, uh, whether they're creating source distros or whether they're creating EXEs or uh, DLLs or web services. Uh, regardless, deploy will package all of these different types of distributables um and and because the the market is so wide So
0: so 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 it's a broad market i guess
1: yeah it's it's a broad market essentially if if you have applications that you're distributing to end users uh then deploy is for you uh that's that's what it attempts to solve is the problem of distributing any type of application uh to any type of user
0: and you got some good visibility this year uh at an I Week 2013 you are on stage as well at the key, at one of the keynotes.
1: Yeah, uh so day 1 keynote uh 2013. Uh thanks thanks a million to the uh, product partner team. Uh Matthew Friedman uh in charge of that and especially David Ottlesatta. Uh David he was up on stage with me doing the demo. I uh, those guys have done an amazing job uh, helping get the word out uh, with Deploy, um, or or helping get the word out about Deploy. Um, so working working with them and, and doing that thing at NI Week was was a really great time.
0: So how did it feel being on the keynote stage? Was it nerve wracking a little bit?
1: So my personality is is one that I I actually don't really get nervous uh, in in front of people. Uh, however, I can get tripped up, I guess you'd say. Fortunately, I don't think I got tripped up uh, too badly. Uh, but one other one other interesting thing about my personality that a lot of people don't know uh, about me is I have a really, really terrible memory. And so being able to uh, memorize or, or even get a feel for what the lines should be was very, very difficult. Uh, so a lot of people who saw me backstage would see me pacing back and forth for hours and hours, uh, just trying to learn a few lines. Um, but yeah, that that lack of memory, I, I think you'd say, actually, uh, <laughs> that, that brings up some really interesting uh, programming concepts, uh, even. How not having a good memory as a developer, how that, um, how that affects your programming style, and what types of programming paradigms are good uh, for developers without uh, a really good memory. Essentially, if you can't juggle a lot of things in your mind at once, and juggle a lot of parallel processes, uh, and, and deal with things like side effects, and post conditions, and preconditions, uh, that gets into a really interesting topic of, uh, say, like functional programming. and. Um, uh transactional messages uh keeping keeping all of your uh state within the transaction uh rather than keeping a uh keeping state distributed in in many different places um
0: so you're saying that because you can't juggle a lot of things or sorry you can't remember um you know a lot of these things in in your head or keep them in your head then it affects the way you program
1: yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And uh, one one thing that I've really enjoyed learning more about because it's really helped my programming style over the past uh, couple of years is functional programming. And what does it mean to be a pure function? Uh, versus, say, other types of programming styles uh, like the object-oriented is, is just one obvious other programming style. Um, one thing that I've realized is that even though I'm using object-oriented programming uh, at, at different abstraction layers in my, in my designs and in my systems, uh, at the method layer and at the procedural layer, Uh, where where we're actually looking at business logic. If you throw in a really heavy dose of functional programming into your uh, style, you're going to end up with code uh, with far fewer bugs because you don't have distributed mutable state uh, or this pervasive mutable state throughout your application. What you end up with is bival, uh, the semantics of a bival data flow system Uh, Meaning that whenever you look at any one code module, whether that module be a sub-VI, whether it be even higher level like a library, whether it be even lower level like a structure on the diagram, like a case structure, say, with four or five cases, um, whenever you have uh, references, references to data and pointers to data and handles uh, flowing in and out of these code boundaries, you end up up blowing this thing called referential transparency, which basically means that it becomes harder to to understand how that function is going to act in the context of the entire system. Uh, The way that you try to guarantee referential transparency is having only uh, simple data types um, crossing code boundaries, and likewise having those as by value rather than by reference. Uh, so what you end up with is more of a functional programming style that becomes easier to debug and easier to read. Uh, that's, that's one very important thing is creating code that's easy to read. Um,
0: yeah, I, I'm in that camp as well. Readability
1: is very high on my list.
0: Before the interview, you mentioned to me that you're releasing something new. What is that?
1: Deploy is built on a framework called Featherweight. And uh, Featherweight is something that we're going to be open sourcing in 2014. Um, it, it's basically an application framework for LabVIEW. Uh, I, I hate <laughs> I hate to use the word framework because, uh, it, as Spolsky says, that's the uh, that's the F word in in software engineering. <laughs> um, it, and I read another fantastic quote the other day. It's uh, a framework is a reusable piece of source code with uh, all of the all of the business logic taken out, but all of the assumptions left in. <laughs> uh, and of course, he was being sarcastic, but it's, it's really true. A framework assumes uh, certain things about what you need and what you want as a uh, developer, as a software developer when you're developing applications. Um, and so one thing that Featherweight attempts to do is allow arbitrary access to each one of its merits. Uh, In other words, uh, even though it has the ability to spawn off parallel processes and and connect uh, these parallel processes, if what you need is uh, just one static process, uh, Featherweight attempts to not burden it with all of the uh, syntax and semantics of all the parallel stuff. Um, If you if you don't want logging uh, you can exclude logging Uh, things like that basically uh, allowing arbitrary access uh, to each each of its merits uh, without tying you into one heavyweight framework
0: so this is a framework that you use to build deploy
1: yeah that's correct and then Uh,
0: you're 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 thinking of making it open source you said
1: next year yeah, absolutely, uh, and that's that's definitely on the roadmap. Uh, open sourcing Featherweight. Uh, so yeah, that's that that's sounds pretty cool. thing. That's one thing uh, to look forward to. It's it's basically it's an actor oriented style, uh, taking a lot of these things that we're learning in the community as as the LabVIEW community is evolving, um, taking all of these ideas and, and trying to synthesize it into a framework uh, that is very very simple. Uh, because it, essentially, frameworks are procedural abstractions. Um, and, and the business value of software comes in business logic. It doesn't come in the procedural abstractions, necessarily. Uh, the procedural abstractions may give us um, may give us intangible uh, side benefits such as the ability to maintain it better, the ability to onboard developers easier if they're already used to the framework and and the uh, messaging architectures and the configurations and things like that. Um, However, the customer, the person using uh, the, the customer using your distributable does not care about the framework. Uh, It offers no business value. Um, so, So the goal of Featherweight is to provide the highest ratio of business logic to framework as possible, um, not requiring much boilerplate, uh, not requiring much, uh, you know, much syntax in order to accomplish uh, what it is you're trying to accomplish. Uh, that uh, I, I could also throw in there that um, is influenced by Professor Steve Watts. Uh, <laughs> campaign to have have block diagram as the central focus in an application. Uh, Basically when you go to look at what an application is doing uh, you should be able to pull up a block diagram and very quickly dive into the business logic in order to figure out why your application is behaving as it's behaving or in order to extend it or to uh, you know, fix a defect or something like that. Uh, basically, get all the stuff out of the way except for the business logic syntax.
0: So, deploy is now available uh, on the LAVI Tools network, and uh, there's uh, an architect edition which uh, goes uh, for nine ninety nine, and then you also have uh, SSP which is two ninety nine, and that's all available on the LAVI Tools network. Um, jack uh, i'd like to thank you for coming on the show there's a lot of interesting conversation we had and uh, i could talk to you for hours about labview and i'm sure you'd love to too but we have to cut it short (laughs) (laughs) cut it short at only uh an hour and some minutes (laughs) um so I, i really appreciate you coming on the show
1: yeah mike thanks a ton uh likewise i we could talk for hours on labview uh, and I really look forward to seeing you here at the CLA Summit in uh, March. When, when is that? March in Austin?
0: Yeah, the CLA Summit, which is in Mar- uh, March 3rd to 5th, um, and also there's actually a European CLA Summit, which is 18th and 20th, and I, I think you're going to both of those, right Jack?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so I'll I'll look forward to seeing you and, and likewise the rest of the community uh, to talk more about LabVIEW and uh, and featherweight and deploy and just uh lab view lab view in general
0: yeah i'm really excited to hear about featherweight i'm sure a lot of people will be intrigued and they'll be asking questions so uh, i hope you got uh, something planned for that <laughs>
1: Yeah, you betcha. Uh, I'm, I'm always available. Uh, I'm, I'm firing up uh, conversations like this uh, at least two, three, four times a week uh, with people around the world. I would strongly encourage all, all the other LabVIEW developers likewise out there uh, to just connect more on a personal level with other software developers and uh, really really toss out the ideas that you're having that you don't necessarily want to put on Lava or the NI communities uh, because they're, they're not necessarily fully formed enough to put, put your name behind it. But being able to call people up and uh, do a little screen sharing session or just do a little brainstorming session, it's absolutely invaluable. Uh, so it's, it's fantastic talking to you, Michael, like this. Uh, and, and likewise, uh, keeping, keeping the conversation going beyond just NI Week and the uh, CLA summits.
0: Uh, great. Thank you. Thanks again.
1: Yeah, you betcha. Take care.
0: And thank you all for listening to this episode of the I Shots podcast. Uh, again, I'd like to thank uh, Jack for being on the show. And if you want to read the show notes, uh, go to V.I. slash 34 And also, if you want to get more information about uh, Jack's Deploy product, go to slash deploy Again, uh, if you like the show. Please, if you're listening through iTunes, go and give us a written review and a star rating. And also, uh, if you're listening with other applications, they also have built-in review systems where you can star and leave comments on there. Thanks for listening and bye for now.